Thank you, ladies. I will pray for us, and then we will dig in to the Word today. Thank you, ladies. Uh, we'll be in Proverbs 27. We'll dig into that right after this prayer. God, I come to you today. I just thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you for the opportunity to come together uh, and worship and sing and pray and to hear your word spoken, Lord. We just we thank you so much for your for your your kindness and your provision, Lord. As we've gone through a, a difficult week, a, a strange week, a, a historic week, Lord, we pray that uh, as we come here today, Lord, that we just find a, a little bit of peace, a little bit of harmony, some unity, God, and just uh, just a refreshing time of being together uh, with like minded believers. We thank you for Jesus, for the price that was paid on the cross for our salvation. And we thank you that, again that we're here this morning to celebrate that and to remember that. We thank you, we praise you, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Talk, can you get the, the main lights, please, sir? <clears throat> All right, we are uh, in the middle of a relationship series. Um, February is, a, is an easy month for relationships. Uh, or is a, is a common month for us to talk about relationships. And we started off the first, uh, first week, two weeks ago, with talking about the relationships of believers in the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, sibling uh, relationships. And that we talked about that week that no matter what, we have each other's back. That's really what it comes down to. Some people you like in the church, some people you tolerate in the church, but no matter what, we have each other's back in the church, um, regardless of what's going on. And then last week, we talked about uh, that griping and complaining and arguing is never the wise thing to do. Uh, we, talked, we looked at Philippians 2.14 that says, Do not grumble or complain in anything, or in everything don't gripe or complain. Same difference. So in everything, we want to find a way to be constructive. We want to find a way uh, to avoid being negative. We want to be filled with joy. We, the, the, we talked about the contrast between you can either gripe and complain or you can be filled with more joy and more rejoicing. So we talked about that last week and we specifically talked about that, about how important that is in marriage. Uh, how difficult it is in marriage, but how important it is in marriage. And then this week we're talking about how to be pals and then next week we'll talk about neighbors or just everyone or those outside of the church. You can put it in a lot of different ways. So we're talking about how to be pals today. I use that word specifically because it, it makes me think of a movie uh, that I loved as a child. It was called Young Guns. Again, when I talk about things like this, I'm not necessarily advocating it, but I am saying that it was um, it made an impression on me. And there's several scenes in this movie where it talks about being friends. Uh, the movie is basically loosely, very historically loosely based on uh, Billy the Kid. And Billy the Kid is talking in this scene we're about to look at to his other friends about how important it is to be buddies, to be friends, to be pals, as he calls them. And so we're going to look at this real quick as we lead in uh, to what we're talking about. But this is um, Billy the Kid talking about being pals. Charlie. Charlie. You come with me? You come with me? You ain't saying much, Dirty Steve. Because he ain't got much to say, Charlie. Oh, Steve understands the meaning of the word pals, don't you, Steve? So you got three or four good pals. 
Why, then you got yourself a tribe. There ain't nothing stronger than that. We're your family now, Chavez. You walk away from us, you break our sacred hoop. We gotta stick together, fellas. It's the only way I see it. William H. Barney, also known as Billy the Kid, continued to ride, never leaving New Mexico. He was caught in Fort Sumner by the sheriff, Pat Garrett, and killed. Sources report that he was unarmed and shot in the dark. He was buried with Charlie Bowdry at Old Fort Sumner. Advices report that sometime later, an unidentified person snuck into the graveyard and chiseled an inscription. The epitaph read only one word. Pals. Okay, for those of you that couldn't hear that very well, he just talks about the importance of having three or four good buddies. That if you just have three or four pals, then there's not hardly anything that you can't accomplish. That three or four good pals are closer than family. Uh, and it talks about how at the end of his life, and this actually is true to my knowledge, uh, at, when he was buried, someone snuck into the uh, cemetery and scratched on his headstone one word. And all it said was, pals. Uh, so we're talking about that today, and we're looking at Proverbs specifically, and Proverbs talks about friends a lot, and neighbors a lot, and relationships a lot. We're just looking at a few specific things today, but we, when we're talking about Proverbs, we're just talking about wisdom. We're doing a Tuesday morning uh, study with boys right now, and we're going through Proverbs and just looking at the different ways that it applies wisdom uh, to our lives. But there's a difference in being smart and knowledgeable and being wise, they're not necessarily the same thing. Sometimes they are, sometimes they are not. It's kind of like the little boy that went to the barbershop. And the barber said to one of the guys that was there at the barbershop, he said, watch this. This is the dumbest kid you've ever seen in your life. Watch this. It works every time. And he goes up to the kid, and he holds out a dollar bill, and he holds out two quarters. And he says, all right, son, which one do you want? And he kind of looks at him for a second. Sure enough, he grabs the two quarters. He turns around and walks out. And the barber says, see, he does it every time. He's so dumb. I don't understand why he does that. And the guys didn't think anything else about it. Well, he finished his haircut, and he left, and he saw the boy coming out of the ice cream shop. He'd gone to the ice cream shop and got him some ice cream with his two quarters. And he stopped him, and he said, I said, son, I've got to ask you a question. Why is it that you choose the two quarters over the dollar? And he said, well... Because as soon as I choose the dollar, the game's over. <laughs> There's a difference between being smart and being wise. It's not necessarily the same thing. So we're talking about applying wisdom to our friendships and how important uh, it is to have friendships and, and, and what it means to our lives and how impactful it can be uh, in our lives. And, you know, it's, it's like the maximum, like if... if with a good friend, you cry, I cry. You hurt, I hurt. You laugh, I laugh. You fight, I fight. You jump off a bridge, I'll miss you. That's, that's good friends. That's what we're talking about today. So we want to be there for each other, but we also want to be the best possible friend that we can be. And that's what we're looking at uh, today. So Proverbs 27 I'm going to read 5 through 17. Not all the verses will we dig in today, but just to not break the continuity, we're going all the way 5 um, to 17. An open rebuke, this is out of the New Living uh, 
translation, which is a little different, uh, but it really, really makes the Proverbs easy to get. It says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. A person who is full refuses honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. A person who strays from home is like a bird that strays from its nest. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is is as sweet as perfume and incense. Never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. When disaster strikes, you won't have to ask your brother for assistance. It's better to go to a neighbor than to a brother who lives far away. Be wise, my child, and make your heart glad. Then I will be able to answer my critics. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Verse 13, get security from someone who guarantees a stranger's debt. Get a deposit if he does it for foreigners. A loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. Stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind or trying to hold on to something with greased hands. And our last verse, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So we're talking about the importance of friendships today. Uh, in, in youth, for the, for the last five years, one of our irreducible minimums, one of, one of our seven things that we want to make sure that by the time you've gone all the way through youth that you, that you know, that is implanted and dug into your brain, whether you choose to live it out or not is your choice, but you will not leave our youth group without knowing that your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. That's one of the seven things we want to make sure we drill into them with God's Word, that the people they spend the most time around will have the most influence in their lives. You don't have to try for that to happen. That naturally happens. Some of you have probably heard the, the, the adage that you, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time around. Uh, and that, that is very true. So friendship is important. Friendship determines a lot of what takes place in our life. And, and friendship doesn't mean that that's not your spouse. It could be your spouse. Friendship is a lot of different relationships at a lot of different times. It's really just the person and the people that you spend the most time with that you count on the most uh, as you're going through your life. So, again, if we're going to get one thing out of today, if you're going to get one thing out of today, out of these verses that we're looking at when it comes to friendship is that candor and counsel are key to being pals. We're looking how to, how to be pals. How can we be a good friend, a pal? Candor and counsel are key to being pals. Let's dig into these verses and see what they tell us about that truth. First, we look at where we started. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Verse 5 and verse 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Candor. What is candor? It's openness. It's being honest. It's being transparent. It's being sincere. You can see why that's one of our words. It's almost like that comes up in Scripture pretty often. It's like God kind of wants us to be sincere people, to be open and transparent and candor, be full of candor. We want to be open. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. A sincere friend. Now these proverbs here, these two are, are, are like many proverbs throughout the book of Proverbs. They're better than 
Proverbs, better than Proverbs. And most of the time, it's contrasting having a lot of something and a little of something is better than having a lot of the other thing and a little of the other thing. It's contrasting the two things, like, like having a little bit of food but a good relationship with God is better than having everything you want to have and not having the fear of the Lord. Better than Proverbs. You'll see that over and over when you read Proverbs if you do. These two both say that. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. What is that, what is that really getting at? One, a real true pal will say, that's a bad idea. That's dumb. That's going to hurt you. Or even, that's sin. That's not an easy one to say, because then they can say, well, that thing in your life is sin too. To which we say, that is correct, and thank you for pointing that out to me. That's what sincerity is all about, open candor. But kiss-ups, raise your hand if you like the kiss-ups in your life. Does anybody respect a kiss-up? Somebody that kisses another person's rear end all the time? Can you stand that employee? Do they just drive you up the wall? I mean, nobody, nobody as they're growing up, you know, and you're, and you're, you're a young teenager, you're, you're in 8th or ninth or 10th grade, you're thinking, I can't wait to grow up and be the world's best kiss-up. I'm so glad that my closest friends, they all just kiss up to me and make me feel special. We don't need people in our lives that tell us what we want to hear. We need people in our lives that tell us what we need to hear. What we need to hear. So here's an example of that, right? Probably the world's worst kiss up in all the history of humanity. Matthew 26 Judas says, or talking about Judas, while he was still speaking, this is Jesus, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and the elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one. Arrest him. So he went right up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. That's an extreme example of this verse, but I think that's what this verse is, is really ultimately getting down to. You'd rather have somebody hurt your feelings, but be honest, than somebody pretend that they care about you and stab you in the back when it counts the most. So to be a good friend and to have this type of person in your life, you need to have people and you need to be a person that has candor. You are open and transparent and you share truth with the people that you care about. <clears throat> Being pals, in other words, is mutually beneficial. This shouldn't be something that is a one-sided thing. I should benefit you as a friend, and you should benefit me as a friend. If we're both being open and honest and transparent, that is a mutually beneficial relationship. Moving on. Verse 9. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. When we're talking about counsel, I think there's two major categories of counsel. There's encouraging counsel, and then there's more critical counsel. Encouraging counsel is, is speaking that word into your life when you really need it. Maybe when you're down and you're out, or you've gone through something difficult, you've gone through something hard. Someone is sharing something with you, 
that encourages you and builds you up. Critical is kind of the opposite of that in a loving and, 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 and encouraging, a loving and productive way, but not always as encouraging. Sometimes the truth stings a little bit, but sometimes we need the truth of encouragement. We need the truth that just builds us up, that, that makes us feel like we can run through a wall, like the pregame speech from a good coach. Sometimes it's just enough to get you over that edge. You're ready to play, but now you're really ready to play. An example of that would be when you go to 1 Samuel. Probably the, the greatest example of friendship in Scripture as far as two regular human beings go is David and Jonathan. If you want to do a study on friendship, just read through 1, 2 Samuel, a little bit of 1 Kings, and look at the relationship of Jonathan and David. In the youth, a couple of years ago, we went through that relationship as a series just on friendship, just those two guys. And here's what's happening where we're about to read this verse in 1 Samuel. David has just defeated the Philistines in the town of Keilah. And he has freed these people. The Philistines were oppressing them and they were hurting them. And he has freed them. You would think they would be very thankful for that and, 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 and very glad that David has done this for them. And they were for a short amount of time. But the problem is this is the time in David's life when Saul is coming after him trying to kill him. Saul is the current king at this point where we're about to look at in 1 Samuel. He's the current king, but God has already anointed David as the next king. And Saul knows it. And Saul has disobeyed the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord has left him, and he has basically turned into a raging lunatic, Saul has. And so he finds out that David is in this town, and so he sends his warriors, and he sends his army to go get him. And David asks the Lord, God, are the people, are the citizens of Keilah, that I've just done this great thing for, me and my warriors, are they going to turn on me? And God says, yes, they are. Because Saul's orders were to siege the town. What does it mean to siege a town? It means to encircle it and keep it from getting the supplies in and out that it needs. And eventually, people will turn on you when things get bad enough. And so David is down. And David is out. And David is very discouraged. David is probably wondering, how in the world am I going to end up being king like God has told me I'm going to be? Because I'm just about on the verge of death. And at that point in David's life is when Jonathan shows up to this verse that we're about to look at. 1 Samuel 23, 16. It says, Then Saul's son, key, Jonathan, came to David in Horesh and encouraged him in his faith in God. He encouraged him in his faith in God. And he goes on to share with him, David, you are the next king. You know it. I know it. God has shared that with us, and we know that. I will not let my father kill you. I will not let that take place. Now, just a, just a key side note. What does that mean Jonathan's given up? He could have been the next king. If Saul succeeds in killing David, Jonathan's the next king. He's going to live a life of luxury, a life of anything you want, whenever you want. Wealth and power and fame and prestige and pleasure and all at his fingertips. Anytime he wants it, as much as he wants it. That's the kind of friend that Jonathan was. That's the truth that he's speaking into David. He's saying, David, I'm laying aside my right 
as the heir to the throne because you are my friend. And I care about you. And because God has said that you are the next king. And that's more important to me than all the things that me being king could possibly be. Honoring God and encouraging my friends. So sometimes counsel is encouraging. And that's good. And we like that kind of counsel. That's way more enjoyable most of the time than the critical type of counsel. But then we get to Proverbs 27, 17. This is an often repeated verse. I know it's some people's life verse. This is Tim Tebow's life verse, for those of you that are friends of him. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Or so a man sharpens another man. Or literally what it says is a friend sharpens a man's face. Or a man's countenance would be another word that could be used there. Is the literal Hebrew that is used. Iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now, it's kind of a strange thing. Because if you take two exactly similar metals and rub them together, they really don't actually sharpen each other. But that's not the kind of iron that that this scripture is talking about. Because regular, just pure iron is actually not very usable for things. You have to add carbon to it, which they did with charcoal back then. And so when you add charcoal to it, when you melt it down and add charcoal to it, it adds carbon. That's what hardens up iron. And depending on the amount of carbon mixed in with the iron depends on the hardness of the iron. And that truth is really neat when you think about that being a friend, being a human being, right? Each little piece of carbon, back then especially, was just a little bit different. It had just a little bit different amount of carbon in it. And it takes this piece of iron with a little bit different carbon and this piece of iron with a little bit different carbon. When those are rubbed together, then you get iron that sharpens each other. So we don't need people in our lives that are exactly the same as us. And thankfully, that's not the case. We need people in our lives that see things a little differently than we do, that experience life a little differently than we do, that, 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 may, that may be a little further or closer to the Lord in their walk with Him. They may have a little more wisdom, a little more experience. They may have a different angle on the, on the problem that you're facing to share a truth with you. And that's a powerful, encouraging reminder to me is that it takes all different kinds to make it. It takes different type of iron. Even though we're all human beings, we're all iron, but we're all a little bit different. And when we, when we share truth with each other, it makes us more useful. It makes us shine brighter. The sharper the iron, the shinier it is, and the more it shines for those around us. The sharper the iron, the more useful it is. What would you be using iron for? Weapons? Agricultural products during this time? If, if, you, had a dull, if you had a dull hoe to work, into, work in your garden, it takes a lot more time and energy to get the job done than one that's prepared and ready and useful for the job. And that's what true friends do. They make us better. They make us more useful. They make us more into who God wants us to be. The different kinds of iron that are in our life. They sharpen you. And you should sharpen them. Whoever them, that close relationships that, that you have in your life are. Paul does this in Galatians. Paul's been gone for 14 years 
on a missionary journey, and he comes back to Jerusalem. <clears throat> and some people are saying that Paul's not an apostle. And Paul is affirmed as an apostle by the apostles when he comes back from this 14-year trip. They say it's obvious. Listen to him talk. Listen to what's happened. It's, it's plainly obvious that he is an apostle. And it's obvious that we're supposed to minister to the Jews in our area, and it's obvious that Paul is supposed to minister to the Gentiles that are not Jews in the, in the Gentile world. And they say to him, they give him one command or one regulation. That would be the right word. They give him one regulation. You can go minister to the Jews, or to the Gentiles, and share the truth of Jesus about him with them, but just remember the poor. Make sure you remember the poor as you do that. That's the only Jewish regulation they put on Paul as he goes back on his next missionary journey. He's affirmed as an apostle, and they say, go do it, go share Jesus, awesome, remember the poor, and that's it. So Paul goes on, and he's in Antioch, and then Peter and some of the other apostles come to Antioch, where Paul is, after this meeting has taken place in Jerusalem. We're going to pick that up in Galatians excuse me, chapter 2, verse 11. After that's happened, now we're picking it up right after that. When Cephas, which is Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I, that'd be Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the Jews. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, who was Paul's leader, until he wasn't Paul's leader, was led astray. And we skip to verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. End of quote. These are all things that he is saying to Peter. Peter was the man. And Peter's in Antioch. And when nobody's around from the Jewish community, Peter's living it up with the Gentiles. He's eating with them, which was against their regulations. He's in their homes, which was against Jewish regulations. He's living like a Gentile. But as soon as the high and mighty Jewish uppity-ups show up, then all of a sudden Jesus wasn't enough. All of a sudden, faith in Jesus as the Son of God wasn't enough. And Peter slowly starts inching back towards this group. Yeah, I probably shouldn't be hanging out with those Gentiles. Yeah, I probably shouldn't eat in their homes. Yeah, you do need to be circumcised to follow Jesus. Yeah, we better start putting this yoke, this bondage of the law in place. Because after all, we are Jews. I mean, this, this thing can't, surely can't go on and be different than Judaism. It's just, it's just a little different angle on Judaism. That's, that's where Peter is. And Paul, I love the way it's, he says that in Galatians, the way that is written. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because a friend sharpens another friend's 
face, literally. I opposed him to his face, Paul said. It just reminds me that sometimes the sharing and remembering of the gospel is the most important sharpening we can do in each other's lives. Sometimes just sharing the truth of Jesus with a friend is the most important thing you can do. Sometimes that friend that knows Jesus, but whatever is going on, they're down, they're out, they're encouraged, they're living in sin, they're walking down a bad path, they're heading down the wrong road, they're fixing to make a really, really unwise choice, or they've made two or three, and they're about to make another one. Sometimes just sharing that truth with them of the gospel is the most important thing we can do to make that person sharper. To make them more useful. It's also the hardest thing to do. It's also the hardest thing to do. I mean, it's, I'll be honest with you, as far as sharing truth like this from here, it's easier to do it from here than it is to do it with a close friend one on one. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy for me to stand up here and say, hey, this is what you should do, and this is what you shouldn't do, and if you're doing that, that's not very smart, and if you're doing that, that is smart, and that's wise, and this is unwise. It's easy to do it from here. It's hard to do it in close relationships with someone you really care about, you really spend a lot of time about, and they know about you, and you know about them. That's more difficult. But, like we talked about last week, most of the times, the things that are most difficult are also the most impactful. They make the most difference. I mean, half the time when you leave here, you don't remember 96%. It's an odd percentage. Of what is said up here, right? I mean, if anything, hopefully one or two things stick with you. But when a friend sits you down that you love that you've spent a lot of time with, that you've done some, some, some good things with, and you've probably done some dumb things with. And they say, man, I'm worried about you. I'm, I'm not sure where this is headed, but I'm, I'm worried about you. I don't, I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should date him. I don't think you should marry her. And here's why. Man, I'm not, it's, not from a, it's not from a position of, of judgment or, or anything like that. It, I'm truly concerned. You know that I love you. When that person says that in your life, whether you like it, whether you agree, it doesn't matter. It impacts you. It sharpens you. Sometimes that sharpening hurts. But it makes us what we're supposed to be. It makes us useful. So again, two things today. Here's the 4% that you hopefully will remember. Candor and counsel are key to being pals. And when I say pals, that's as good of buddies as you can be. That's as good a friend as you can be in the way I say pals. That's what I mean by that word pals. So that brings me to two questions that we'll finish up with when we're done. Both of them are very important. Do you have this pal in your life? Do you have someone in your life that is open, transparent, honest, sincere, or has candor? Same thing with you. Do you have someone in your life that gives you encouraging counsel or sometimes that sharpening counsel? Do you have that person 
in your life. If not, you would be wise to seek this person out in your life as a pal, as a buddy. What do I mean by that? Someone that you spend time with. Someone that can influence your life, that can be open, transparent, and counsel you to pick you up when you need it and to kick you in the pants when you need it, whichever the case may be. There's that question. Consider that. If you don't have this person, pray about it and find them. If you do have this person, make sure that you are thankful for that person in your life. Maybe you hadn't told them in a while. Today would be a good day to remind them how much they mean to you. And the second one is, are you this pal in someone else's life? Are you this pal in someone else's life? A lot of people want to have good friends, but they don't want to be a good friend. If you want good friends, then you might want to be a good friend. You'll probably attract more good friends into your life. Are you this pal in someone else's life? Are you that person for someone that they know they can come to you and say, I'm coming to you because I know you'll tell me the truth. I was telling Stephanie a few days ago, I asked Katie, Katie's opinion on something when it comes to the way something looked in the church, decorations was. And I told Stephanie, the reason I asked Katie is because I knew she would tell me the truth. If it looked good, she'd tell me. And if it looked bad, she'd tell me. That's priceless. You can't beat someone that you know is going to be honest with you, even and especially when it may hurt. So are you this pal in someone else's life? And make sure that the foundation of all that is the gospel. Grace. Kindness. Truth in love. It's not, it's not walking around being the point out police. But it is being willing to confront. Now I know, I know for some of us, last week was difficult, Right? If you're that personality that, that confrontation comes a little more natural to you, to hear last week that you can't point things out is like you telling me I can't breathe, right? <laughs> There's a difference in griping and complaining and saying what needs to be said, right? If the, if the chicken wasn't no good, then the cook needs to know that. <laughs> but there's a way to gripe about it And there's a way to be productive about how you share that truth. So, again, counsel and candor are key to being a good pal. Find that person in your life and be that person for someone else in their life. And ultimately, when you let them down and they let you down, remember that as the several songs we sang this morning, there's one that we can always go to that is the number one never-ending, steadfast, always going to be there, best friend, best pal we could possibly ask for. And that's our Savior, our King, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who saved us from our sins. Amen. Thank you. We are going to finish it with a song. And then uh, Miss Sandra Millsap, who is the chairman of the Worship Pastor Search Committee, is going to come share um, a little bit of information with you. And then we will finish up after that with the Great Commission and uh, head out for the day. Lord, I come to you today. I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, I I thank you for for good pals. Lord, and I pray for everyone in this building, God, that they have that person in their life. 
if they don't, that they will seek out that person in their life, that they are grateful for that person in their life, and that we will do everything we can, that we will be disciplined in our spiritual practices so that we can be that person in someone else's life. God, I thank you for that. I pray for that. I especially ask that for the young people in this room, Lord, that are being groomed, making important decisions about the directions of their life. God, they will have that person in their life and that, Lord, I hope and pray that that person is in this church, that there's someone in this church that can be that person for them. God, we thank you most importantly that you loved us enough to pay for our sins, to bring us to you for eternity. We love you. We thank you for that truth. God, we pray that we would go out and be who it is that you're calling us to be, God, that we'll be pals. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.